Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Bob Rathman here in Atlanta. The constant churn of college realignment takes center stage on our podcast again this week. It's in the news. If you saw Gonzaga, their flirtation with the Big 12 seems to be back on the front burner. And during our podcast this week, we're going to talk about this, and we're going to talk about the reshaping of the college basketball landscape with Matt Brown. He authors the Extra Points newsletter, sort of an insider's look on everything that goes on off the field that shapes the world of college sports and college athletics, a marvelous newsletter that we hope you check out. But Matt's going to join me in a minute. We'll talk about these things, a very interesting conversation coming up in just a moment. We begin with our Jersey Mike's news and notes for the week. And Atlanta Dream Guard, Ryan Howard, now has a second job. She formally joined Florida's coaching staff this week. She is now going to be on the bench with a college competitor, her mother's alma mater. You remember Ryan, of course, was a great player at Kentucky, a Jersey Mike's women's Naismith finalist in years past. She was the number one pick in the 22 WNBA draft. Well, she's going to go to work for Kelly Ray Finley down in Gainesville. And, of course, she'll be plotting and scheming in the SEC race against her old team, the Kentucky Wildcats. Ryan's mom, RJ, played at Florida from 87 to 91. She was a team captain there, still in the top 10 in career steals and field goal percentage. And now daughter Ryan will be assisting the Gator efforts. And speaking of Kentucky, we have news on their centers. Aaron Bradshaw and Ogana Onyenso are expected to miss another several weeks following off-season foot surgeries. This according to Coach Cal on Wednesday. The situation is this. The Kentucky season will begin on November 6th against New Mexico State. Then they've got Texas A&M Corpus Christi on the 10th before they head to Chicago and they've got a date in the Champions Classic with potential preseason number one Kansas. That's on November 14th. And Coach Cal seeming to suggest that both Aaron and uh, Yagana might not be available for some of those early season games. We'll keep it posted on the injury situation with those two down in Lexington. My conversation with Matt Brown right after this from Jersey Mike's. Good news. There's a Jersey Mike's coming to your area. You probably got a ton of questions, so I'll try to answer some. Yes, the meat and cheese for every cold sub is freshly sliced right in front of you. Yes, we grill every hot sub right in front of you. No, we do not accept pirate doubloons for payment. Yes, we have catering, 12 subs in a box. No, our restaurants are not haunted. I hope. Okay, congrats on the New Jersey Mike's. A sub above. Nobody has his finger on the pulse of what's happening in college athletics more than our guest this week, Matt Brown, from Extra Points. He authors the newsletter that covers the college athletic scene like nobody else. And, Matt, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. First of all, our listeners may be saying, well, Extra Points, now what is this? So just give us a little bit of background about you know, where you came from and, and how this newsletter began and and what you're doing with it now. Sure thing. So e- Extra Points is a newsletter that comes out four days a week, and uh, I try to cover everything in college athletics besides the games themselves. Um, so it's coverage of NIL legislation, of business and finance and regulatory issues within college athletics, administrative things, conference realignment, all of those you know, back-end business and policy stories that really help shape who's good on Saturday or who's going to make a deep run into March, that's my purview um, because I recognize that many of those stories are important, but your, your local beat writer is so focused on making sure that he's at practice 
or breaking down what happened on the field during the game, that some, maybe those things get missed a little bit. Uh, I've been doing this for the last about three years. It's part of the D1 ticker family. Uh, I've been working full-time in sports media now for about the last decade. Well, I am a loyal subscriber, as you know, and I, I read every word because it's so fascinating, and there's no shortage of things to write about with what's going on in college <laughs> athletics, that's for sure. Oh, Let, you've no doubt a, about it. Let's talk, Matt, a little bit about the college hoop season that's coming. Uh, the seismic shifts won't kick in until next year, but there's a little bit at play in realignment terms, and that's, of course, with the Big 12 this season. And this has been arguably the best college basketball conference the last couple of years running. This year should be no different, but it's going to be a very big conference uh, with a lot of new teams. And this is just the harbinger of things to come, is it not? I, I, I think so. And on one hand, if you're a fan of a Big 12 institution, I, I can see how this can be really exciting because even when Texas and Oklahoma leave, when I look at this league, I really don't think there's a bad program anywhere here. It's, it's, it's the, the, the kind of conference where every single member should expect to compete for an NCAA tournament bid each season. And when you have half a dozen teams that can very credibly say, we should be competing you know, deep into the second weekend of the tournament, if, if not beyond. There's a depth here that nobody else really has. The, the, one of the things that I think will be interesting will be to see how the out-of-conference scheduling philosophies, particularly for some of these new teams, evolve uh, over, over, the, over the coming years. Because if you're a, a, a leading a program like Colorado or, or Utah or one of the Arizona schools or maybe you know, an Iowa State or an Oklahoma State where you might have been more tempted to you know, play one or two more ambitious games out-of-conference, given how deep that league is going to be, I'm not sure you're going to want to do anything but play the minimum that your television partners ask you to and then just try to get into conference play healthy um, because you're going to be playing a top 60 Ken Pond uh, team almost every night for the next three months. And that has good things and bad things. Obviously, everybody's out, everybody, every man for himself when it comes to trying to get into the tournament. But on the downside for the fans, uh, we enjoy seeing those marquee matchups that come along in tournament play and standalones, et cetera, maybe a multi-team event. But that, you know, selfishly, you'd like to see those big games, and to see teams shy away from that uh, would be kind of a shame. Yeah, I, I think that would be frustrating if you're, you know, especially if you have, you know, if you have little kids or if you're on a budget and you'd like to go see college basketball games, generally the tickets are a little bit more affordable in November and December than they are in the real thick of conference play. You'd like to go to see somebody besides Texas A&M Corpus Christi, if, or, you know, or Chicago State, if you can if you can afford it. But I think it's also relevant if you're a fan of, say, a strong Missouri Valley Conference program team, or somebody who's really good in the Southland, or, or really good in the WAC, or, or or the Summit, or some of these other strong mid majors. If the strong teams in the Big 12, or potentially the Big 10, as that league expands, or the ACC and they decide that they want to play as easy a schedule as possible, well, why would anybody schedule Drake if they can avoid it? Why would anybody schedule a, a really good team? And those, uh, those mid-majors are already you know, having to, to pay out the nose to go bring in a power conference team or somebody you know, the, that's at a higher level. I hear a lot from administrators, even before the, 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 the recent round of expansion, building competitive schedules to, to accommodate the net rating and get and, and make your league competitive for March is only getting harder. 
Um, so you, you almost have to go undefeated or almost undefeated to have any benefit of the doubt. And that's unfortunate if you're rooting for somebody that's not in, you know, Arizona. This is all, this realignment, the expansions, it's all driven by football. We know that. Uh, yeah. But it, it obviously has many ramifications throughout the college landscape. And, and I ask this question mainly because I'm in the business, so I, I beg the uh, indulgence of our listeners on this one. But this is, this is all built on a television model. Basically, cable. There's some over the year, of course, with Fox and CBS, but the yeah. basic driver is cable television. This is an industry that is suffering severe headwinds. Uh, ESPN is no different. The regionals are in big trouble, and even ESPN is feeling the effects of cord cutting. Um, and at the same time, they are on the hook for massive rights fees that will be paid out to the Big Ten, uh, the SEC, the, you know, all the big-name conferences. Matt, as you look at it from a business standpoint, is anybody saying to you, you know, I'm not sure this model is going to exist down the road, and then if it doesn't, what are we going to do? Is that question ever broached? I, is that question I, ever broached? No, you know what, my friend? It's something I hear a lot. And I'll tell you, you know, what happens next depends a little bit about where you sit in college sports because there's, there's really, I think, multiple different marketplaces that are consolidating. And, and the media rights landscape is, is, is the largest. We can, we can talk about some of the other ones if you want. Um, you're right. The, the, the ability for the Foxes and the ESPNs of the world to pay massive rights fees is predicated on a system where we have uh, a lot of people still subscribing to, to regular cable. And, and as people are cutting the cord and as those, those individual fees begin to go down, what's already happening is that these broadcasters are far less willing to open their wallets for college or professional sports content that they do not perceive to be elite, big budget, big ratings program. What we saw with the Pac-12 and their inability to go get a, a strong deal in that league disintegrating is one example. I think on the college basketball side, it's going to be very interesting to see what the uh, appetite is to pay an increase for the Big East. Elite basketball conference, great markets, great history, has the defending national champions in there right now. And I've been hearing within the industry there's already some concern because their major partner, Fox, you know, already made a big investment now at the Big Ten and the Big 12, and there's only so much inventory space for basketball. And, and they don't need elite basketball as much as they did, at least in the Eastern time zone, as much as they did a year and a half ago. Uh, so, you know, will somebody like NBC or Turner or somebody else that hasn't been as interested in college basketball enter that market? If not – it's going to be difficult to maintain rights fees of five, six, seven, eight million dollars a year per institution because we're not seeing streaming companies like Amazon or Apple or even Flow Sports much farther down the line here in college athletics be willing to spend anywhere near what their uh, what their their cable and their over the air brethren have been willing to do over the last thirty years. Matt, it seems to me like it can go one of two ways: either there's a bounce back that we go back to regional conferences that make sense instead of this far-flung to everybody playing coast-to-coast, or we have a continuing rise of the elites 
the the ones that you mentioned drive the big ratings. It doesn't matter how maybe good or bad they are, but they're yeah. recognizable names to the common fan. Uh, is is that something you see down the road? You know, I, honestly, I think we might end up seeing both because there's and and this is both a uh, a blessing for somebody like me on my beat, and I can understand you know, really frustrating for a fan or maybe somebody who's an AD or a conference commissioner <laughs> because there's there's a couple of different, you know, major questions all reaching an inflection point around the same time. And and the single biggest one is this idea of will college basketball players or college athletes generally be considered employees in the near future? And that's not an esoteric academic question. That's one that the federal court system is considering right now and with a Johnson v. NCAA, House v. NCAA, uh, and the National Labor Relations Board, you know, as we speak, there will be some kind of determination within the next year or two. And so there's the big question as we talk about you know, conference consolidation, because if you're Providence or if you're DePaul, do you want to go continue to be all in in the highest level of this sport if that means that you now need to directly pay your athletes $75,000 a year across the entire department? Can you afford it? And if not, well, does the old ECAC, you know, <laughs> or, and, that, and that approach begin to look a little bit more attractive? So I, I would expect on some level there to be more consolidation and more realignment, not just centered around maximizing television revenue, but about trying to, to find unity around what kind of college athletics do you want to participate in? Do you want to be the NBA Development League and, and play with those kind of rules? Or do you want to play in something a little bit more resembling club sports or the business of college athletics back from the 1960s? The, the law may make that decision for you. And it seems like that's what the Big East did uh, in its recent past. Uh, when the ACC raided, they said, you know what? We are what we are. Let's just gather like-minded schools, Catholic in, in many cases, but let's get like-minded schools and gather together and do our thing and become elite right? That, that is. And, you know, it, it's funny. I think about that. There, there's a real, like, secret to, to human happiness in that approach, right? And being and not trying to chase down something that you're not and being comfortable with your own identity and saying that I'm not going to, you know, uh, look over at the grass being greener over at where Boston College is. I'm just going to decide to be exactly what I am and be the best that I possibly can be at that. And, you, when you talk to people at UConn, you talk to people at many of those Big East institutions now, and they'll say, yeah, we're, we're happy about that. We, don't, we have different resources, but I would rather be St. John's than have the problems that Rutgers has, even if their paycheck is a little bit bigger. And that's a, that's a thing you can do. There's other schools that have done that, other leagues that have done that, but you also have to be responsive to what the law says that you have to do. And if the law, whether that's, the federal courts or the NLRB or potentially Congress says if you want athletes to uh, practice for 22 hours a week and travel and play you know, basketball games that generate X number of dollars for television revenue, then you have to pay them uh, and you have to let them organize and you have to let them do these other things. We'll see what those schools decide to do. Maybe they decide, okay, we're fine with that and we're just going to roll the Big East into a professionalized sports system and we're going to have a different confederation and the America East can play by their rules. That may, and that may very well be what ends up happening. What are the athletes telling you? You know, it's interesting because most athletes that I speak to 
are not super engaged with a lot of these issues. And I don't say that to infer that they're ignorant or, or anything. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I have a political science degree. I wasn't extremely uh, politically active or engaged on some of these big picture labor issues when I was 20. And I, you know, didn't have the obligations that many of these athletes do. They, they tell, you know, when I talk to both, you know, high-level men's basketball players or uh, mid-major cross-country runners, you hear, hey, I would like to have better health insurance. I would like to, to be able to take the classes that I want to. I'm not necessarily agitating for $500,000 a year. That might be something that comes a little bit more from outside athletics. And it speaks to what I think is going to be a major challenge for this entire world, whether we move to our professionalized model or we move to some other kind of hybrid, that there are so many different kinds of athletes. I mean, shoot, Bob, we have well over 300 Division I institutions. They, they all sponsor, you know, between one and two dozen sports. And trying to organize them into a bargaining unit or organize them around common interests is very, very difficult. The lived experience of a UConn men's basketball player or women's basketball player and anybody at Vermont or UMBC is, is, is very, very, very different. And I, I don't know if, if uh, anybody, even if their hearts are in the right place, is, has uh, done a really good job trying to get everybody to swim in the same direction right now. Fascinating, interesting, and, and well-articulated, Matt. That, that was great. I'm sure we piqued the interest of a lot of listeners. How can they get in touch with you and, and uh, enjoy your, your work on the newsletter at Extra Points? You, you bet. If this is the kind of thing you're interested in, friends, you can find my coverage at extrapointsmb.com. There is a free version of the newsletter, which you will get twice a week. Uh, and for just $8 a month, you can get four editions, access to a huge uh, directory of coach contracts and athletic department budgets, uh, and a computer game that we built called Athletic Director Simulator 3000. If you'd like to see if you have what it takes to run a, uh, a, a big-time athletic department yourself, you can also find me on Twitter at MattBrownEP. Fantastic. Matt, thanks for taking time to join us, and happy basketball season when it comes your way. Okay, thank you very much, my friend. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Matt, and I hope that our fans will indeed sample extra points, and you can see what Matt writes about multiple times per week. And speaking of subscribing, we hope that you do that for our podcast. That really helps us get the word out to college basketball fans everywhere. We're on quite a roll as we get ready for the new college basketball season. We'd love to have you with us along for the ride each and every week. And until next week, from all of us here at the Naismith Awards, Bob Rathman saying so long.